Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, today we celebrate or observe the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Forty days since his victory over sin, death, and the devil, Jesus bodily ascends into heaven with the eleven disciples giving witness to this wonderfully strange event. But what are we to make of this event? Why do we set a day to celebrate Jesus' ascension? Why is it significant for us, for the church, and in fact for all creation? You know, the scriptures, the scriptures are always pointing us to Jesus. The scriptures reveal to us who Jesus is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the obedient son of God. He is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. He is the revelation of the Father. And together with the Father, the sender of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures reveal that Jesus is all of these things all at once. But today, it is appropriate to focus on the fact that the scriptures reveal Jesus to be the king. And not just any king, but the king of kings and the lord of all the lords. And as the king of the kings and the lord of the lords, well, Jesus has a coronation. And not just one coronation, mind you, but two. One, first in humility, and then another in glory. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, our nearest connection with coronations and with kings and royalty is really in England, right? I have heard that many of you got up early on May 6th to watch the coronation of King Charles, and some of you are shaking your head like, that's over there, that doesn't bother me. But if you did get up and watch that early in the morning, what was it that you saw? We would have seen the soldiers dressed in their bright red coats and their really high, tall black hats. Makes you wonder what they're hiding in there. You would have seen magnificent buildings and manicured lawns with, uh, with in, their, in their hedges, not a leaf out of place. The royal family all gathered there with their finest regal attire, most of them sitting all together. You would have seen crowns, scepters, flags, and trumpets, white horses, and ornate carriages. And at a, a coronation in particular, you would have seen the king draped in royal cloak. And after being anointed with perfumed oil, a scepter and an orb would be placed in his hands and the royal crown placed upon his head. And after that, you would have heard the shouts of God save the king by all the royalty and all the citizens alike. Well, that was a coronation of glory for King Charles and for all the people of England and for some of us who care about such things. The coronation of Jesus, on the other hand, was the antithesis of all the royal trappings just described. His first coronation was a coronation of humility. It didn't take 
place in a palace where he would rule from. In fact, he was accused and condemned in the Roman governor's headquarters. He was stripped and he was mocked by soldiers who held their own ceremony of suffering. He was flogged with whips and then paraded around with fake royal robes, a scepter of reed and a crown of thorns. There was no anointing his head for oil, but his face was anointed with the spit of the soldiers. There were no shouts of support and pledges of fidelity to the refrain of God save the king, only shouts of obscene ridicule mocking this so-called king of the Jews. This bloody mess of a man was nailed to a cross and hoisted high to be publicly executed between two criminals. Why? For what purpose? Now, as citizens of the United States, we don't have a king. I want to remind you what it is that a king is supposed to do. They're put in place to serve their people by governing and protecting. As part of the coronation vows taken by the king of England, the priest would ask the king, will you solemnly promise and swear to govern the people of this kingdom of England and the dominions thereto belonging according to the statutes and parliament agreed on and the laws and the customs of the same? Will you, to your power, cause law in justice in mercy to be executed in all of your judgments. So in their pledges, the king promises to, by their power, to rule for the good of his people, to govern justly, to rule fairly. The government is literally upon his shoulders. In addition to serving by ruling according to the law of the land with mercy and with justice, They also hold the authority to command the military forces to protect and to defend. You can call upon the armed forces to come to the aid of others in need. In other words, the king may call upon his army to save. It's for these reasons that Jesus is first coronated as king on the cross. For here we see Jesus governing justly and with mercy. The law of Moses had been broken repeatedly from nearly the very beginning. There are none born among men who fear, who trust, and who love God rightly. There are none who honor their parents and other authorities rightly. There are none who have walked this earth without selfish, sinful hearts that seek only their own good. From the first man to the last, there has not been one who has kept the law of the Lord. And as such, justice must be served according to the law of the Lord. Those who break or trespass the Lord's commandments are guilty as criminals. And convicted criminals deserve the punishment that's due to them. 
But see, you and I are guilty of transgressing the commandments of the Lord. And the things that we say and the things that we think and the things that we do and the things that we don't do, every one of us is guilty. According to the law, we stand accused and convicted, guilty as charged. And punishment, well, that should be handed down swiftly. And yet, look, hanging on the cross under the the title above the crown of thorns that encircles his blood-soaked face is the one who is being punished for you. Jesus is receiving the punishment your sin deserves. Now, he is innocent and guiltless. He has done nothing but uphold the law by living it out perfectly. In mercy unfathomable, Jesus the King suffers for our sin as a criminal among criminals. In fact, as the chief of sinners in the place of sinners. And his coronation is shameful. It's cruel. It's hateful. Humiliating. Soldiers mock him. Save yourself. One of the crucified at his side joins in, confident that this dying man has no power, no authority, no ability to do anything. Mockingly, he says, Are you the Christ? Then save yourself and us. Those who mocked the man, the so-called king of the Jews, affixed to the cross with nails driven through his hands and feet, they were blind to the fact that this is exactly what he was doing there. Jesus was saving saving his whole creation from the power and the condemnation of sin and death. He was rescuing men, women, and children from the dominion of the devil and setting them free. In this moment of mocking, there were not shouts of God save the king, but in fact, God the king was saving you and me and all who believe. He was saving even the criminal on the other side of him. The one who sees with faith that the man crowned in thorns under the mocking charge of king is in fact the true king. A king who would hang next to him in solidarity. One who would dare to suffer the shame and the scorn of the cross, though innocent. And there he is alongside the guilty. We're receiving our due reward for our, do, our deeds, says the man. Justice is being served. But the innocent is willing to associate with the guilty. The high nobility with the lowliest of people. In faith to this king, the, the, the criminal cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His plea of faith Well, that's our plea as well. Jesus, remember me. Jesus, have mercy on me. And you know that already on that cross, that criminal came into Jesus' kingdom. He witnessed God's punishment for lawbreakers, and he trusted in Jesus' mercy for him. He recognized there by faith Jesus' rule and reign. 
And that day he entered paradise with Jesus, never to be separated from the king again. Now the first coronation of Jesus on the cross was a coronation of blood. Yet from his blood comes the life of his people. For in the resurrection, the king who suffered and died as a criminal, a lawbreaker, was raised to new life which he shares with his people. A new life in and by the blood of Jesus whereby criminals are reformed, recreated, and released. A new life in and by the blood of Jesus whereby sinners are saved. As St. Paul proclaims, he has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and he has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. But what about the second coronation of Jesus? The first is a coronation of humility, but the second, a coronation of glory. One that makes the coronation of any earthly king, Charles or any other one, no matter how full of pomp and circumstance, seem like mere child's play. See, the ascension of our crucified and risen king is the coronation celebration as he is proclaimed to be king of the universe. Jesus' ascension to the Father is his entrance to the greater existence beyond the confines of time and space, being no longer bound by the limitations of his state of humiliation. Jesus now sits at the right hand of God, which is the scriptures proclaim and, and Luther correctly taught from them, is everywhere. Having again taken up the power and the authority that were his since before time. And it is from there, the right hand of God, that the Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had revealed and promised to the disciples before he ascended. And by the Holy Spirit, through the preaching and the proclamation of Jesus and his first coronation by the cross, well, the king promises to be with his people. All of them. Our Lord and King reminds us, or remains with us, who are bound here by time and space. He is with us as true God and true man, exercising his rulership or his reign in the church through the means of grace which he has established, his word and his sacraments. We mortals on earth, through the means of grace, can grasp the King of kings and the Lord of the lords and receive a foretaste of the feast that is still yet to come. And what this means is that you, dearly beloved by Christ the King, you now live under his rule and his reign. His kingdom has already come to you. In your baptism, when he united you to his death, and he has raised you to new life in him. His kingdom comes to you every time you confess your sin and you look to God for mercy. His kingdom comes to you as you eat and you drink his living body and blood at this altar. You are his people. 
living under his kingdom. As you go from this place into your homes, your schools, your places of work, in this community or around the world, you are his people for his kingdom and his rule and reign has come to you. And one day, like our brother criminal on the cross, we too will enter paradise with our king. As he comes again, bodily descending from heaven, with a crown of glory upon his head, and clothed in the royal raiment of heaven itself. He will bring with him all the souls of those who have believed in him, and he will change our bodies to be like his. He will renew the earth and the heavens above, and there we will dwell with the King of kings and the Lord of lords forever. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news in proclaiming that Jesus is king. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said to his disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and die and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of these things. This is the good news for all sinners in all places that has been proclaimed in Jerusalem on Pentecost and is being proclaimed around the world this very day. Now you never would have guessed from the events of his first coronation that all this was what was happening for it looked like his utter end. But in his resurrection Jesus is shown for who he really is. He's not simply the king of the Jews. But he is the king of all creation. He holds the victory over sin and over death. He has vanquished the devil. He is the justice and the mercy of God enfleshed. He is the forgiver of sin. And he has ascended into heaven and he sits at the Father's right hand. For he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. Jesus is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of all the lords, and he is the King who has come to save you. Amen. May the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our ruling and reigning King. Amen.